Hello, and welcome to the Sam Dever Podcast, episode 45. In this episode, I speak with entrepreneur Jim Nico. Now, I got to say right off the bat, if it wasn't for this man, Jim Nico, there would not even be a Sam Dever Podcast. I worked with Jim almost a decade ago over in Las Vegas on one of his projects, which was the Social Network Show, which exposed me to interviewing media, learning how to film interviews. It all started with him there, and it was a true treat to reconnect with Jim on this podcast. It was a wonderful conversation. He's highly intelligent, super entertaining, and I had a blast. And honestly, I can't wait to have him on again (laughs) because it was such a great conversation. The book of the episode, I'm going to go with The Dip by Seth Godin. Uh, I've read this one. It's been a couple years since I read it. I probably need to reread it, but basically it's the concept of when you should either keep going with something or break it off and go do something else, which is really a really tough concept, especially as an artist or something you're passionate about. He really breaks down, you know, when when to call it quits and when to keep going. So it's, it's just one of those good perspectives uh, again. And Seth Godin's wrote in so many really good marketing books. This is another good one of his. It's called The Dip and it's by Seth Godin. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Jim. Oh my. Okay. Here we Jim go. Nico, uh, welcome yeah. to the Sam Dever podcast. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. It's been years, you know, I mean, here we are. Here we are. I told a couple people on the phone because it really started to sink in that you and I were doing this. And I okay. told them, I, I, I just started thinking about it. I go, if it wasn't for Jim, I, I wouldn't be doing any of this. Okay. I never would have been on this media journey that I've been on over the almost decade now. That yeah. all started with you. Thanks, man. So well, that's interesting. That's yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 uh, I mean, those were the, those were such uh, amazing days. I mean, there was so much sparkle in them because here we were, you know, like UNLV and I mean, you know, it was, it was fun, man. And it was, I, it was really meaningful those days, but I'm so glad to hear that about you because I just think you're amazing at it. And I, I want to help if, if I can, if we, we move on and we don't tick each other off too bad during the, uh, <laughs> I, I, I like to try to get you out more. I mean, you know, you know, I like to promote others. I don't like promoting me. So, you know. Yeah, no, and I've always, that's always one thing I, I learned from you and picked up from you early on. You were all about promoting other people. And you were, I mean, really to take everyone back, I mean, you uh, are the founder of the Social Network Show. Yeah. Like yeah. You, you were doing something no one else was doing at that time and you know bringing on guests doing that show at unlv um it really was ahead of its time it really was especially when you see what everyone's doing now it's like well <laughs> jim was doing this almost a decade ago i know man i know i know and we're st- i i think the irony is i think it's still the con- content wise um i think it's still ahead of its time i mean the the if i may just like you know take off on that for a second i mean people could say well you know why you know what well i think one of the reasons was that we we weren't afraid to um look social networking and social media in the eye so to speak and um i'm not saying that there isn't some good that's come out of it but 
<laughs> the idea that we could that that you can go on some kind of a network like Facebook, I guess it's Meta now. I I don't pay too much attention, but but um, and 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 just like hook up with people. I mean, I'm just going to cut to the chase. I think the one thing that really bothered me about Facebook in the beginning was, other than you know, I, I'm not saying it hasn't done some good, but um, was that they I thought that they turned the word friendship upside down. I mean, in other words, just my opinion here, in other words, you don't become a friend by uh, clicking on a, on a, you know, some kind of a social network site. Those aren't, those weren't friends. That's not how you define friendship. I thought the bar got lowered so far and I know why, I mean, you know, sure, sure. The money and the commercial reasons. And, you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, but, it didn't change the fact that to me, those you couldn't know if those people were friends. So that's where kind of it began. And, um, and then um, we, we, we saw some of the damage that was done, some of the, the like um, Carol Todd, when she lost her daughter, you know what I mean? And then we had so many meaningful people come on the show. And one of our questions was always like, well, how do you use social networks? What do you think? You know, of course, you know the history, but um, yeah, man, it was, and I, I just what I had hoped for that era was that that these uh, I hate the word man up, but I, I, I would I, I still hope wish that the social networks would stand up and uh, they've still they'd stood up and been counted. But if they'd stand up and say, look, you know, we are media companies. We, we need to be responsible for what we say. You know, I mean, and that's why we're still ahead because we're advocating for that, but it hasn't, I haven't seen it happen, you know? Yeah, it's, you know, it's funny because, you know, what you were doing, then that helped birth me to do the social media show. And I felt like we were both promoting this social media, social networks all over the place. And now I was actually talking to someone I had worked with on the show and it's like, uh, the social media show. And it's like, man, I almost feel like I was peddling crack back then. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, uh, thinking it was good for people, but now that we're getting more and more years into it, I don't know how great it is for people, especially now. And that's, so it's interesting what you say about the friendship in the beginning, how you caught that really early on. Yeah. yeah. And if you look what's happened with it, it's really taken over people's minds and lives. Now everything's on this <laughs> phones. People are buried in it. They're lost in it. And really, it's supposed it, it is awesome because we're getting to do what we're doing right now and that's a great connection but it's also kind of a false sense of a connection in a way with a lot of people too so i don't i don't yeah. know where i'm going with any of that but it's, it's all just, right man but you know that's that's just it i mean you're just kind of going with your gut i mean and you're right i mean that's what so we're not saying it hasn't done any good but when you when you take things well, anyway so that was then I think we did almost 210 shows. Dr. J was, of course, the, the, one of the things that, that did, so if anyone is interested in this show and they're interested in any, any of my background, I mean, what we did, what I was trying to do, and I'm, then we can cap this or whatever, but um, in a nutshell, what I was doing is I was trying to bring up how we could make the whole social networking and social me media experience more fair and ethical and even more legal and, you know, moral. Uh, I don't know that we succeeded, but we certainly brought a lot of amazing voices to that that conversation. We 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 recorded the social network show, recorded approximately 210 shows or something, and and we we also I also got into producing those series 
on the social network station. Now those those are kind of gone. I think the the domains are up for sale. But anyway, and and last thing to cap this off was what I wanted to do was not just go on and be my normal charming self. <laughs> you know, just kidding. Uh, so, but I wanted when when I met Dr. J, that was a real turning point because I don't I haven't heard of many experimental psychologists. I mean. And that's what she is. And she still is. She's still a really close friend. And um, she's retired now. But to bring on somebody with that clinical, I had a clinical background, I was a crisis intervention expert, but to bring in the psychological level of her made it rich. You know, and you came on and, you know, and then it gave birth to what we were doing, you and I, and I thought we were kind of two peas in a pod. I don't know. Anyway, that's the cap. If anyone wants to know about it, um, my LinkedIn page has all the pretty much all, not everyone, but a lot of the guests that came on the show. And we had world class. I mean, it's funny because nowadays I see like in uh, uh, this is a conclusion, but nowadays like I, I belong to Harrow, you know, help a reporter out. You know, and I, I don't know if you're into that, but it's. You, do you know about that? I haven't heard. I think I've heard the name. I don't know much about it. Oh, it's very interesting. Very interesting. Um, I'll, I'll turn you on to it later a little bit more. But um, what, what, I, what I'm getting at is people intermittently over the five or six years that we did the social network show, people would say, well, you know, how do you get guests? And like, we had waiting lists. I mean, I, people just came out of the woodwork. They, everyone wanted to be on the show. We got Google on the show. I mean, um, and that wasn't easy. But uh, we had, I mean, you know, the United Nations, Johnson and Johnson, uh, all kinds of, you know, great, interesting people. So that was the, that's, we can cap that off. Uh, we stopped that, I don't know, five or six years ago, we stopped producing and doing the show. But if anyone's interested, what, I think the one place that they might really like to see it, if anyone's getting into podcasting, in addition to listening to your show, they might go to my LinkedIn page and look at the guests we have, you know. And um, so that's that, you know? Yeah, we'll, we'll, I'll for sure put your links in the description of this episode so people can click and go check it out. Another thing I'll add, you know, to that experience, at least from my standpoint, I mean, especially now that I look back at it, man, I got to be in the room with, with some amazing individuals yeah. for some incredible conversations. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I think I was 26 at the time, something like yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> 25 even. You were lit. You were lit. Yeah, you were, <laughs> you were on, on the move, man. But great times. I mean, um, and, and I still think, and not just me, you, I think we were ahead of our time. And I think that was part of the problem because – I mean, come on, the social networks were making a fortune. They weren't, they weren't necessarily going to change because I said they needed to, but that was then. Oh, I, I, um, so that, you know, again, people, yeah, if they look at my LinkedIn profile, they can see all the guests and the, we did different. Um, I produced different series, as you know, on the social network station. So it was a blast. But it was, I think it was more meaningful than a blast, you know. So. I didn't call you the Ted Turner of social networking for nothing. So. Well, that was the best compliment ever, you know. It really <laughs> was because I, um, of all the, the guys out there, I, 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 I didn't, I don't know that much about Turner, but I was intrigued by him to the extent that uh, I, I very much respected, if I got it right, is that at one point he gave away a third of his wealth to the United Nations, which... I haven't heard of anyone else do it. I mean, I'm not saying no one has, 
but it hasn't been front page news. You know, like I'm, I'm guessing if Gates um, would give away a third of his, you know what I mean? How much money do you need? I mean, you know, yeah. you and I know how much money we're, we're going to try yeah. to go get. But uh, I, at one point, I got to tell you, in the middle of that whole um, social networking and social media jaunt that we did, um, I did something that I didn't tell a lot of people about. I bought a domain that said, this was the exact do domain, I think it was classic. Greed is more than you need, dot com. <laughs> and uh, and, and I, I owned, I mean, my wife just about, I mean, I don't know how rocky it got, but I mean, at one point I owned so many damn domain names and I thought they were all brilliant. I mean, you know, it's like- I do the same uh, thing. <laughs> yeah, domain junkie, I, I had a problem. Anyway, but what, but the one, uh, greed is more than you need.com. I still, I don't know if it's around, but I got rid of it, but I loved it. And I still believe that, you know, that greed is, is more than you need. You know, you don't, I, I, you and I, I'm not going to preach on that. I'm not going to get it. But, um, but I got a lot of feedback on that. And then I started getting radicals were, were following that. And I thought, well, wait a minute, I better be careful because I'm doing this mainstream. Anyway, that was then. And I also had another domain and I, I, I can defend this one, the social network from hell.com. <laughs> so what the goal there was, I never did it. The goal was that once you've been on the other social networks, what you should do is join the social network from hell and settle down into your, okay. So <laughs> that was my domain addiction state. I got, oh, I got a million of them, but you know, they're gone now. Uh, trust me. I, I, I've, I've definitely let a few go <laughs> that I've held on to for years. Cause in your mind, you're like, oh, this is going to be huge. Oh yeah. yeah. I'm just, I'm reminded just talking to you too. It's like, you've always had this big creative entrepreneurial drive. Has that always been in you? Has that um, always been? Well, I, I got it. Okay. First of all, I got to tell you a story, but I got to tell you, I mean, because this is the fun part. I got to tell you a quick story, but I'm also going to send to you the original because I don't want to read it now, but I'll give you like, you know how people say you get things in your blood, right? You know, that kind of thing. Okay. So my dad, um, this is where it started. Okay. So I, I, I was, I was more interested in spiritual. My thing was I was interested in really high level knowledge in terms of like, um, you know, whether it was the ultimate in po poetic and literary knowledge or philosophical knowledge or mystical um, metaphysics. So I was always way into the really the ultimate stuff, right? Mm. My dad, his name is Vito Nico, which, you know, I'm, so it's Italian, my last name. And he was a genius in his own right and unbidden. I mean, he never claimed to be that. But those around him, including me, saw it in him. I mean, he was just, you could see it. As soon as he walked in the room, you could see it. And um, there, there was a very dangerous side to this guy, okay, which I, I don't know that I want to get into that now. Um, it, it, it had a major effect on my life. But you know me, I just might get into it in part two. Anyway, <laughs> I don't mind going into it, but I want to be careful because uh, that was, it was, it was, when you got it, when you got a, an Italian, you got, here's the combo, Italian, genius, and he was a Navy Ranger. So at his, during his time, he was the most highly trained killer, assassin-like killer of his era. The Navy Rangers were 
way ahead of you know anyone anyone else. You know, Green Berets. These guys they they predated all that. Okay. So you when you when you add in like a, 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 an amazing like like a, a trained, very very sophisticated guy. His hands are registered. He couldn't fight. I saw him fight, but he wasn't allowed to legally. He really his hands are registered. Italian genius and hands registered. And then you got me like, you know, the rebel and I'm the oldest son. And he thought I was exactly like him. I mean, from the very beginning, it would, there were some reasons for that. One, we, we were the same size as I, as I got older, you know, and this all relates to your question, but it's the fun background to it. Um, we are the same size. I wore his clothes when I was in high school. I later had a she became, we came, became quite close. She said, you know, you have your dad's eyes, you know? I mean, there were, there were a lot, it was kind of eerie. He and I were more like twins than we were like father, son, but then there was a dark side. Okay, so two stories about him how to put things in focus. He made his first million on a borrowed $5 bill. Here's what he did, okay? He would go to a bar, he was a drinker, okay? He'd go to a bar and, um, this is a typical thing with him. Like in Michigan, I grew up in Lansing, Michigan, capital of Michigan. He went to a bar and uh, he did a lot of his business in bars drinking. Anyway, he's in a bar. He borrows five bucks from some guy. And he, this guy was feast or famine. I mean, we lived in mansions and he'd be broke the next day. And then he'd have millions. I mean, it was up and down, roller coaster. He borrowed five bucks. He, here's what he did. He knew of land that was available, but that was extremely expensive or, in a sense, unavailable. It was, it was there, but it wasn't for sale. Okay, farmers, generations of farmers had all this acreage in Michigan, and they weren't, it wasn't for sale. But you, could, you, you, get a, you get a farmer coming in with, like, you know, the overalls and the, you know, he's got a million in the bank, and, and everybody's got a price, you know, that whole thing. So here's what he did. This was the advent, the beginning of malls, as we know them today, the malls, right? So these mall developers were looking for property all over the world. I don't know about the world, but at least in Michigan and probably the other states to build these huge malls, okay? And he knew that, and he knew farmers had land. So what he'd do is he'd go to, here's how he made his first million. He went to a farmer, he said, look, um, you want to sell? No, I don't want to sell. Well, what what price would you sell for? So he'd raise it. He just, he just raised it and raised it until the guy said, man, you'll never get that amount from my farm. But, and, but my dad said, well, but if I do, I get anything over that. So, you know, if he was, a parcel might have been for like five million. If he gets a million over that, six million. He, so he was dealing with options is what he was doing. He bought the option from the farmer to sell his land. This was, you didn't need a real estate license to do this back then, I don't know about now. He'd buy the option on the back of a napkin usually or, or a placemat, whatever. He'd, he'd pen it out with a cross pen, you know, and uh, he'd get an option to sell the land and he'd take whatever he could sell it over and above. So that's how he made his first, on a borrowed $5 bill. He bought it for five million, sold it for six, boom, he's a millionaire. And Okay, but here's here's this is another story, and I'm and this is the last one. This is the one I'm going to send you. My, I didn't even know this one. My daughter found this one, but okay. So there was a point where he owned a couple of he he got he became a millionaire, all self-made. He never finished school. You know, um, he just 
did it by his wits. Anyway, at one point he owned uh, a hotel in Fort Lauderdale. I went there once and got in enough trouble that I needed to leave. But then he owned one in Winter Garden, Florida, which happens to be just outside um, Disney World. Okay, so he bought, he had the clothes, this is a good one. He had, he owned, he bought the Ramada Inn, which was the very closest one to Disney World before Disney World opened. Oh. So here's what happened. He goes, he, he owns it. Now, how the hell he got that together? He was, he was wild, this guy. Okay. I don't know how he did it, but he owned it. Okay. But he couldn't rent the rooms because Disney World hadn't opened. Okay. So. He researched somehow and found this this Wall Street financier. What does he do? He he uh, hijacks his plane. This financier is, is, is on vacation somewhere in the world, and he's coming back to Tampa on a, on a private jet or whatever. And my dad, I don't know how he did it. I probably bribed the pilot or something, whatever. He rerouted the plane to Orlando and without the guy's knowledge, you know? So, I mean, that's what he did. Okay. But he was charming enough and he was brilliant enough to where, so the guy, the story, and I'll get you the literal one because there's some good detail, but anyway, the, the story, it, it was in a, in, in a Florida newspaper. My daughter found it. And I was amazed. I, just like him, typical, but um, I, anyway, so the guy, it starts the last piece of the story. The guy's getting off the plane with his wife, and he had no idea why they're in frickin' Orlando, right? Never met my dad, didn't know what was going on. But he said, man, but the orange blossoms were great. I'd never smelled those. So, you know, and this guy's filthy rich. Okay. And uh, so my dad finally, you know, Vito, whatever, he, he, um, he forgave. This guy forgave him for commandeering the plane and, and lent him like four – to five million bucks to keep afloat until our, the Disney World opened. So that's in my blood, right? I always liked the big deals, and uh, and yet I hated business in a way because it clashed with the greed is more than you you know my ethics and my spirit my spiritual uh, goals and and aspirations have all have always been just above my shall we say. Uh, enjoying the beauty of the opposite sex. And then above that was the metaphysics and the philosophy. So um, so they were always competing with me. I, I had the entrepreneurial stuff in my blood and I had a knack for it like my dad, but it was always at odds with my spiritual development. So, so, and so was dating. You know, I went into a monastery when I was 17 to, to try to study to be a priest. It was an experiment. I, I, told, I shocked everybody, but I said, I'm not, I'm not, this isn't a done deal. I'm just going in to see if I'm into it, you know? So that's where it all began. But, uh, but then I got into music. Once I heard Jethro Tull play, I was into Dylan and a lot of rock stuff, but when I heard Jethro Tull play, I just fell in love with the flute, the way the guy played the flute. I saw him live. It was a, it was a concert called Goose Lake in Michigan. And I, and I, I had taught myself when I was in the monastery. I, I, I recorded at 17 years old. I recorded uh, there. Were, God, there were some wild people in the monastery. How am I doing? Am I doing pretty good? I'm this off on it. It's yes? incredible. Okay. 
I mean, you know, tangents this, are this is beyond okay, anything I, know, I, I ever thought it could be. Keep know, talking. We're just getting warmed up. Okay. Oh, this is great. I got, okay. I got to tell you a little bit. Okay. So imagine this now. Okay. My mom said, um, I don't, you know, I am married and I've been married about 30 years, so I don't want to piss her off. She's not here, so I can't really tick her off now. And she will, probably won't listen to the show because she could, you know. Um, no, she won't listen because she knows she saw us, you and I together before, you know, we were the guys, you know, we were doing our guy thing that, you know, they're not, you know, um, you and me, but okay. So I go into this freaking monastery. Well, one more thing, just to spice up everything. My dad, he was also, uh, the, the, he, he did let me know this. He was the checker champion of the fifth fleet in the Navy. So that analytical genius, that mathematical analytical genius that he had was very prevalent. How the hell do you become a freaking chess checker champion of the fifth fleet? You know, you got to be side note. It sounds like your dad needs a movie made on him. (laughs) Okay. So, so here's what happened. So I, I'm dating, uh, the most beautiful women in, my hometown schools, you know, that was, that was another thing I was into. I I love beauty. I love physical beauty. And so that clashed with my spiritual aspirations, but here's one more little piece saves you from asking questions because this is more fun anyway. So, but cut me off, man. If I get out, out too far, just cut me off. But anyway, (laughs) this podcast is all about going (laughs) deep and far. This is, this is great. This, this is, you can't make this shit up. So no, this is one, cool. okay. At one point, my dad had a friend. He introduced us to a guy named Father Bill. He was a, a regular parish priest, diocesan priest in Lansing, Michigan. And his name was Father Bill McKeown. Okay. Father McKeown, Father Bill had some of the most um, amazing eyes I've ever seen. He, they just, they glistened with a certain brilliance that I, I rarely see. Okay. I've seen it maybe once or twice in my lifetime. And he was, my dad said, he's the only guy I know that's smarter than me. So that gives you some idea of Father Bill. I think he was the, the guy that actually was the interpreter when, when the Japanese surrendered. He was the guy there, you know, like he spoke like 10 or 12, I don't know, seven, 12 languages, something. Georgetown valedictorian, brilliant guy. And what he did, the reason I went into trying to be a priest is, was him, because what he did is he, he worked with the poor, but he was just, he had the Catholic Church subsidize what he was doing. That's, that was his thing. And I thought, well, I want to work with the poor. And so I'll go and I'll try to do the same thing. Well, I didn't last in the priesthood. I lasted a couple of years, gotten a lot of... <laughs> Not legal trouble, but let's just say collegiate trouble. You know. um, so, I, but I recorded a song in there. I did. Uh, I did "Misty" by Errol Garner, you know, the old fashioned, the old song. And I did "Lonely" by John Sebastian. And here's here's what I mean. You don't think you're going to get recording engineering experts in the monastery, but there they were, these two guys. And I all I play, I played piano a little bit and harmonica. Once they heard me play the harmonica, they said, "Well, we want to record you." Just happened to be a recording studio at St. Meinrad in the monastery, uh, one of the oldest in the country. I mean, you know, all this weird kind of stuff like that was going on. So I, when I got out of there, I got into music. I taught myself the flute, sax, piano. Uh, 
my goal was to play locomotive breath as good as Ian Anderson did. And I, I guess I pulled it off. But the, but the, the band was so – this is – I was in my 20s, about your age when we met. But I, I took that flute seriously in sax and stuff. But, but the band was too, too drunk, too, too stoned. It was a bunch of my brothers and, you know, a guy from the seminary. And, and uh, we, we actually made it. We, we got offered a deal and um, uh, these, these, this guy came to, came to one. We never performed. We only performed in public a couple of times. We just wrote music. We had like, a, like kind of a little farmhouse, which we all just, we, we wrote music. We played music but we didn't go out. And then we went out, I went out and I played locomotive breath. He heard that. He said, I can offer you um, a deal in New York. And it was going to be like something like 14 or 1600 a week. Now, again, this is going back decades, but your age, you know, I'm, I'm, we're in Florida now. Um, my dad's multimillionaire um, between ticking him off, you know, that was always a trip. And there's more to that that I'll tell you privately. But anyway, uh, the band, we got the band to a point where we got offered a gig to go tour in New York, start there at 1600 a week, which, you know, like, man, back in the early seven, like what, 70, you know, 1970. Uh, that was good money. A lot, a lot of, you know, and expenses all paid. And I told the band, I said, everybody quits drinking. I wasn't drinking that much. I mean, I've had my day, but, um, and I said, or I'm out of here. You know, I said, I can't do this because we, these were siblings. I had three or four brothers in the freaking band, you know, plus my best friend from the, the monastery. Anyway, long story short, um, they didn't sober up and I left. I sold, I had a, I had a great flute. I had a great sax, you know, and I just left and moved back to Michigan. Anyway, that was that. Then I got into clinical. Well, I drove a cab for a while, got cab stories. Oh yeah. You're not going to escape those, Sam. They may not hit the air. I got some classic. I made, I'll just, I'll just wet your whistle for the, I made more money sitting in the cab than I ever made driving. I was more, I was the, the limo driver in the cab. And that was in Santa Cruz, which, you know, that my daughter's still there. That place a trip. That's a whole series of stories. <laughs> then from there, I went into the clinical world and I, I never had a degree. I kind of like skipped that because I, I was always studying, you know, I mean, I always knew more than, I don't mean this in an arrogant way, but I, I worked at it. I mean, I studied psychology and metaphysics and all that. So I did have a working knowledge beyond the bachelor's level had I, you know, got, gotten that. And um, so I talked, talked myself into a counseling position without a degree, which was no easy feat. But by the time the guy realized I didn't have the degree, it was too late. I was already hired and, you know, um, did it clinical thing for for a lot of years and then i got into the entrepreneurial thing you know and i started started businesses so that's my whole life story but the stories of <laughs> that's that you know? oh we, we we could do a whole podcast <laughs> on each one of those segments that you just <laughs> oh they're fun the, okay i all right all right since you begged me i'll tell you one more one more story but man this is good you're gonna like this so now, I make history here because I'm going to say something that no one has ever said. And probably, I, you know, and I'll be challenged on it. But anyway, you know me. I, I'm as radical as they come. And I've got some surprises for you personally 
in, in over the years, things that I've studied. I, 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 I caught on one of your shows with that one girl. Who I, she's very charming. Kalila. Yeah, I liked her, you know. I think um, you may have met her. Cause she yeah, came, I probably did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, yeah. You know, her and I are great friends, and yeah, she's, she's been pretty, on. She's pretty classy. I mean, you oh, know, she's, she yeah, she's she's amazing. Okay, brilliant so I'm, listening, I'm listening to that show, and I was I was what I, I so I'm, I'm again ta- we're we're gonna call this the tangent off on the tangents with me. That's a good title anyway. No, no. Okay, yeah, you, you you this you'll probably appreciate. So. um I got, I, I was, so I'm, I'm in, I'm at St. Meinrad. I'm, I'm digressing, but this one, just a story for, for our, our, our faithful fans. We're, we're here to entertain, as you know. So I'm trying to entertain them. Anyway, so uh, I'm, I'm 17. I'm at St. Meinrad Monastery in Southern Indiana. Um, it's one of the oldest monasteries in the country. I think it was 1860. So it has an old feel to it. Some modernness, but anyway. So I immediately start getting into trouble because I didn't want to follow some of the rules. You know, I didn't want to get up at six in the morning. You know, the, the, those are the little things. But um, I'll, some of this I'll tell you personally, but I think you will appreciate this one. And I, I think our vast audience, our, our growing audience will appreciate it. So, um, I'm there, and I could care less about politics to this day. Um, I mean, I know it's there, and I know it's doing what it's doing, but I don't, you know, I have no real interest in it. So anyway, but a buddy of mine named Chuck White was into politics. And one day, a lot of stuff happened before this. One day he came up to me. I was more interested. I was majoring in philosophy. I was writing serious poetry at that time publishing in, in their, their local paper. And I had, a, I had a, anyway, that's a whole other thing. But Chuck White came up to me one day and he said, listen, I know you're not into politics. And I said, no, I'm not. So why are we talking about it? I wasn't really sarcastic, but he said, but I am. And I want you to, but here's something kind of different. He said, so Bobby Kennedy won the, the Indiana primary. And I said, well, that's good to know. I didn't know because I, I wasn't really watching the news either. But he said, I said, well, but I don't know what that, why, why are we talking about it? And he said, because in Oregon and California, the, the, uh, the schools don't get out till later, like in early June or something. And he, ne- he goes there next to the Oregon primary and then the, the, the uh, California primary. And he said, we, he needs people to go work for him there. So I've got to deal with the Kennedy organization where 21 seminarians are going to all expenses paid can fly out to Oregon canvas for Kennedy and um, and and then uh, basically on to LA and LA was the to be blunt it was where the the the, the women the girl mecca of the that to me LA had to be where the girls okay I didn't have a problem with girls but that just had a reputation I thought man so I'm going to get a free ride to LA I say I know why you're telling me this now okay so we fly to Oregon. Now, here's the important, that's not so important, but here's where I was, again, like the social network show and the station and the association and everything, the, all the eight, eight different avenues of that. I was ahead of my time. Here's, here's how. 
in, I didn't know this when I got there, but out of 400 freshman seminarians, the a lot like almost like the majority of these guys had never dated, never drank, never smoked any weed. Okay. And I mean, those are basic things you got to get through, right? You know, I mean, even if you don't stick with any of them, you got to experience. Okay. Yeah, you got to go through it to understand. Right? Okay. So I I saw ahead, literally, in my mind's eye, I envisioned, I thought, wait a minute. You're gonna these these 380 or so guy regular red-blooded American guys were in what they called and I just heard of this uh, minor seminaries. What that meant was they were in high school seminaries. I'd never heard of it till then. I was in a, I was in a college seminary and theology was like graduate school where you get your you know you go on and you get your degree in theology. I didn't even know there was such a thing as a minor seminary. They were in minor seminaries and they didn't allow them to date. I thought, well, this is where I was ahead of my time. I thought if they don't date and they don't drink and they don't mix these things, they're going to start doing crazy things in the future with, you know, when they do get around females, young and old. I mean, I saw that. I said, wait a minute, you can't not date and then go counsel young girls or old girls or women about marriage problems like sex problems and not get in over your head. So my mission then became to teach anyone who was willing how to date. So this created some funny stuff. So there was a guy named, I'll just call him um, Bob because I don't know. I keep, I don't want to get sued, but anyway, Bob and Joe. Now I was a freshman. They were both juniors at St. Meinrad college, right? And Bob, I had this other kind of an odd talent. Now, no offense to you. No offense. I kind of hate rap music. I'm not saying every single one, but 99% I kind of hate it. But, but not to be hypocritical, I was the first rapper. Here's what I mean. I mentioned being able to write poetry. Well, I was very, very seriously into that. And I had an ability to rhyme on the move. Okay, so if when I drank, I could be talking to you like right now and I could rhyme every, I could start even now. I don't want to do it, but I could rhyme everything I say for the next 30 minutes. And it like, like, you know, easily like sort of in a rap sense. Right. Well, Bob, we'll call him Bob was fascinated by that. But what he was more fascinated with is I was tutoring in him and how to date. So we would go out, we drink, this is all in a freaking monastery. We go out, we go to a drive-in. In those days you get, you'd order hot dogs and root beers and, 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 and I'd say, okay, Bob, here's what you do. Ask her out, ask, ask the waitress out. We picked the prettiest one and he'd strike out. He didn't know, he didn't know the first thing about it. And I'd say, okay, so now try it this way. So I, I would tell him what to say. And she, and it always worked. Okay. So now, and he sort of idolized me, which it was, was to the chagrin and almost his buddy, his best friend, Joe, was amazed at that. He was amused by it, but he was also kind of like, what do you make of that? You know, I'm his best friend. He's idolizing this guy because I had this ability with women and I had, I was teaching him how to date. So what's that got to do with going out to Oregon? Because Bob and Joe went with us, right? So picture this. We blow out to Oregon. Uh, they gave us a rented a car by Kennedy's. Kennedy's gave us, gave us a car. I knew nothing about politics. I mean zero. Wasn't interested in it, but here I am. Um, 
met a model out there. I'll just call her Sandy. I remember her last name. Just gorgeous, right? So she's kind of with me the whole time, the seminarian, me. I, I wasn't doing real well on the celibacy. You're beginning to see. Okay. So she's with me the whole time. And then, then there's Bob and John. Now, John, who later became the lead, you see, all there's a whole pattern to this. John actually became the lead guitar player when I was doing the talk, you know, all that. Later, John gave up. Get this. This guy was brilliant. He gave up a full ride to Purdue for aeronautical engineering and basketball. So John was really smart, right? And we were the whole first semester in this. Why am I telling this publicly? This is fucking crazy. Anyway. Keep going. <laughs> okay. So, so, so get this. So John and I were like the whole first semester at St. Meinrad, John hated me, hated me. He thought I was the most arrogant, egotistical guy he'd ever met, right? I wasn't arrogant. I was confident, okay? And, you know, a lot of times people, I had reasons for being confident. I, but a lot of times people, you know, it's like grandeur versus grandiosity. You know, people mistake that. Anyway, by the second semester, we're, we're, we can't, just like you and me, we can't be separated. We're buddies. We're buddies. So, I mean, I would get money, back him. He'd go win money in poker games. This is in the seminary. This is not out on the like, – he'd get it. We'd go to Louisville, go to dances. I mean, it was, it was kind of wild. Right? Celibacy wasn't happening very well. So now we're in Oregon. Now, you got a picture. We're in a car. Sandy's cuddling next to me. She just cuddled a lot. I loved it. You know, I mean – so she's next to me. And of course, that made John or um, Bob even more looking at me like, how did he get her? I mean, you know, she's just, she's not making any problems. Gorgeous model cuddling. You know, I didn't see, I didn't say much. So he, that even, it, that even made it more fascinating in Bob's eyes. Joe's laughing most of the time at this whole thing. And so I, I canvassed for Bobby Kennedy one day and said, this is for the birds. I'm not going to go door to door and try to get this guy elected. What the hell? I got better things to do. I have to get dates for 21 seminarians. How did I do that, Sam? You might suspect. Telephone operators. So I got on. Instead of going out and canvassing for Kennedy, I spent the whole day getting blind dates for seminarians so we can avoid the, the, the child molestation future uh, you know, and I'm like decades ahead of it. I'm trying to stem off the, the sexual abuse uh, thing that Spotlight did from the, with the Boston Globe in advance. I'm doing my part, Sam. I'm doing my part. And I'm succeeding. I've got 21 guys' dates every night. That's what I'm not working for Bobby. He's funding the whole operation, but I'm not doing any politics. I should not be admitting this, but I am. I just when I thought that you were a pioneer, you just <laughs> took it to an entirely different level. That that should be <laughs> okay. a movie. What you just that, I'm telling you, man, this is pre-spotlight. You saw it. I hope. I hope you saw it. Anyway, I'm trying to head off the sex abuse hysteria, like in 1968. What 30 years ahead? So I was ahead then. So anyway, uh, this this is I'll, I'll tell you the rest. This is classic. So. We're spending either we're at the beach, and Sandy's with me the whole time, you know. We're at the beach, or I'm in there getting the dates, and we're not doing anything for Bobby. Nothing. And I'm not proud of that. 
I mean, in a way it was unethical and, you know, it wasn't too cool, but I, I don't think I was doing too much harm, but I sure as hell wasn't earning my keep. Okay. So yeah, this is true. Get this. So I'm getting the dates. I'm and, and Bob, and we were drinking, not, not to get drunk, but just the, you know, just to, you know, the buzz. And, and, and I would, I would do my rap thing, which I, you know, I mean, I do some of that. And of course, Bob is just kind of idolizing me at this point. So at one point he goes, Joe, stop the car. I, he goes, he, he said, Jim, tell, and, and I would give him commands. This was a, it was, it was hilarious, but we had it on a command obedience thing. And it was, we were drinking. It was just fun to do it. I'd say, go tell her this. And then, and then the girl would go out with him or, you know, go say, so we turned it into this command obedience thing. So he said, Joe, stop the car. And we're kind of a little bit buzzed. And Joe said, why am I stopping? He said, because I'm going to go jump off a bridge if Jim tells me to do it. And I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. We're not about bridge jumping. That's not where we're coming from. That's not what this is about. But, you know, we did stop the car and have some fun with it. Hold on. I think that's Jane. Let me just tell her. Uh, yeah. I, I, hold on. Let me just tell her. Tell her hello. Yeah, I'll, I'll, call, I'll tell her. Uh, I'm, I'm on, I got, I got to talk on, on, on Sam, the Sam Deaver podcast. <laughs> I, I got to take a second, right? Just yeah. really blow our mind. The, the Sam. Yeah. We, we've talked about it on this, so that's perfect timing. Yeah. Yeah. Hold on. Deaver podcast. Okay. And then I'll just tell her, I'll call her. I'll, I'll, I'll text you back. I'll text you back. Okay. Anyway, so this is almost over, but, but it's, it's, it's check, just check this out. You, uh, back okay so now i'm sitting in the office there's a little pause in the action he didn't jump i said i'm ordering you not to jump not to jump so bob didn't jump now fast forward a few days i'm sitting in the office and my feet are up on the table and i'm getting the usual daily 21 blind dates with telephone operators and in come these mafia looking guys jim and bill Pinky rings, they just looked apart. I mean, there's no doubt that they were these Italian enforcer type guys. And they walk in and they're there just to, just to see if there's any screw ups like me taking advantage of the system. That's why they're there. Okay. And they walk in and they go, um, and, and you know, my feet are up on the desk. I'm on the phone. I should be out there canvassing for, for Kennedy. I'm not doing any of that, but I'm pretty quick. And I realize right away that. I could read what's going on. And John was in the back, probably nursing a hangover. I said, John, follow my lead. So I'm going to improvise this. And so they walk in. I said, now this is for your entertainment, Sam, especially in our, our vast growing audience. Get this. I go, I went. So I said, so I said, who, who are you guys? Okay, we're, we're just, we're the campaign. You don't need to know too much about us, but you know, what are you doing that they're saying? I said, man, this is, this is pretty true. I said, man, am I glad to see you guys. This is Jim and Bill. I mean, I raised the whole, I said, man, am I glad to see you guys. I said, well, and they're, you know, they're looking at me like, uh, you know, pardon me. You know, I said, this campaign's all screwed up. The whole Kennedy, the whole campaign in Oregon is, is a mess. I've been trying to figure out how to fix this thing. I, you know, and I haven't, you know, I'm working on it. I mean, this is all bullshit, you know, okay. And I said, but here you guys are. I said, you know, am I, am I ever glad to see you? Right. 
And, and I said, I said, look, if you guys got a minute now, of course they got a minute. They're there to find out these guys like me. There's of course they got, I said, you got a minute. They said, yeah. I said, can you, I said, can you make a little time? Could we just go out and grab, get a bite to eat or something, you know, go to a bar or something. I got to run these ideas by now. Meanwhile, I'm, 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 I don't, I know now, Sam, this is important. I know nothing about politics, nothing. So now I got to go from zero to 60 at Ferrari speed and poly, I got to make up shit. I needed time. So John goes with us. We go to a bar. They had a car. We go in there. Now I used Vito, my dad's old trick. What he used to do is as soon as he get into the bar, he'd find a placemat and he had a gold cross pen and he, he'd just start figuring everything out on that placemat. Right. So we're sitting down with Jim and Bill and I'm not going to say they were that seemed to be like, I don't think they were like road scholars. Let's just be mild about it. Okay. But I liked them. They were listening. I got their attention. I started diagramming and improvising. This is all true. There's no exaggeration. A complete campaign strategy from nothing because I knew nothing. So I came up with, you know, I used whatever social psychological stuff. And I said, now what I want you now, of course, they completely forgot about why they were what we were doing. You know, I, I said, now, here's what I want you to do. I fold up the, the placemat. I, I gave it to Bill. I, I think I might have even put it in his suit coat pocket. And I said, listen, man, is there any way you can get this to Bobby Kennedy's campaign manager in L.A. as soon as possible? And by this time, they would bought it completely. And he said, yeah, you know, like they're working for me at this point. Right. John's just trying to keep a straight face. And so now this, it gets kind of tragic, but get this, they go to LA, we get, we, we don't get busted at all. We end up, then the very next thing is we go to LA. I had my dad's $200 corduroy handmade suit coat jacket. It had matching pants, but I'm in LA, a corduroy jacket, hotter than hell, right? It's all I had. We get to LA. And I start the whole getting the dates, top priority. I'm trying to head off the sex abuse scandal, scandal like 40 years, you know, in the future. And uh, I and I get John's dates just because it's it's easier for me. So I get him a date, I get me a date. Now, okay, now that those date, those first dates didn't work out too good. I got John the mo one of the most gorgeous looking women I've ever seen, and I I and and we're in a Volkswagen. Now the girls are. This is just an aside. I shouldn't be saying this, but I am. So my date is driving the Volkswagen. He's sitting in behind the driver's seat. And one of the most gorgeous women I've ever seen is sitting next to him. the date. I got him. I didn't get her for me. I got him for for John. And he's he's nervous. He, he can't even be around her. She's so she's so knockout. And he's my best friend, but I can't take my eyes off her. So I'm turning around all the time. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to really do much, but I, I just want to look at her. Right. And um, the, my date picks up on that. I'm, you know, like more interested in his date. And they dump us. Fast forward. Now we're in the ambassador hotel in LA, which I think just got demolished. But anyway, we're in the ambassador hotel. Kennedy's dude. I'm going to bring you right up to speed. I Chuck white. Remember him who got us there to begin with came up to me and said, this is no, no bull, no bull. He said, man, I don't know what you did in Oregon. And I thought he was going to say, you know, you've ruined it for all people in the future. right? You know, he said, I don't know what you pulled in Oregon. And I, I'm waiting for the shoe to, you know, drop. And I said, um, 
okay, okay, whatever. He said, but Bobby Kennedy loved your campaign ideas. And I'm going, now I'm not completely shocked because I think I'm pretty, pretty sharp. But anyway, I, I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, not only that, he wants to hire you, me and John to be advanced men after the, the LA, um, you know, after he gets, he wins here. And I said, he said, he's going to fly us to Virginia. He's got a home there. He wants to meet personally with us. I met him that same day, real briefly, just, he didn't know it was me. I don't think I just shook his hand and moved on. I just called my parents back in, in, in Michigan and said, I'm dropping out of, out of the seminary. I'm going to go work for Kennedy. I got to go. You know, one of the, you know, they're, they're not expecting me to make it in the monastery anyway. Everything's going according to schedule. Now I'm going to work for Kennedy. God knows where that would have went. But anyway, so now fast forward, we're sitting in a bar called The Cave in the Ambassador Hotel. We, I've gotten two more dates, backup dates, plan B dates. And this one girl is arguing with me about politics, which I still know nothing about, about some guy named Rafferty who's running and he's conservative and I'm trying. And she goes to the bathroom and comes out and said, Bobby Kennedy's been shot. And I said, that's not funny. You know, you don't kid about that. I said, how would you know that? She said, well, I went to the bathroom and it's near the kitchen and the people in the kitchen are talking about it. He's supposed to come through the kitchen. And they said he's been shot. And I said, you're not kidding. So John and I leave the cave. Now, the main ballroom, we're, we should, we're supposed to be there listening to his speech, but we're not. We're in the cave drinking gin and tonics with our new girlfriends. But now we leave and we go to the very back of the ballroom and that's what, you know, we saw it was real. I mean, women were fainting, uh, men were picking them up, some of them just above trying to carry them out. You know, it was just, it was pandemonium. And uh, this is the end of it, but I, I, there's a really cool ending. I, I just want to go a little bit longer in this. Um, get this. So um, the next thing I remember, I was asleep in the lobby of the Ambassador Hotel with my feet up on the coffee table, and some FBI guy kicked my feet off the table. That's how I woke up. And he said, who are you? And I showed him ID, and he said, well, there's a chartered plane for you and your group leaving. We're going to get you on that plane. I said, with all due respect, man, I just got hired by this guy. Do you mind if we, you know, can we just slow it down a little bit? I want to see if he lives or dies. I mean, this is a life-changing thing. You know, it was sad. It was, it was a lot of stuff. I cried earlier in the night when I realized he'd really been shot. I'd certainly sobered up about all this, but I wanted to know what was going to happen. So he said, well, unless you know somebody in this hotel, um, you, you got to go with me. And I said, well, I kind of do. I met, I called them the Berkeley cheerleaders. Now I think they were traveling with the campaign. They seemed like college aged girls, a group of them, which is really ironic because Terry, the look, you know, my wife got a master's from Berkeley. So, you know, this all kind of fits together. I called them the Berkeley cheerleaders for God knows what reason, but they seem to be like groupies. Okay. And I met them and they, they gave me their room number and they said, well, we'll see you later. You know, in case the second group of dates didn't work out, I had a plan C. I said, well, yeah, I happen to know these girls. I go up. I'm the only guy. I go in. There's like 10 cheerleaders, you know, level. And I made a mistake. I, he, he was cool enough to take me up there. I immediately order room service. Now, I'm not saying that was a smart move because I wasn't staying there. But he followed up with me and he said, you're leaving. I said, I'll tell you what. So on the way out, um, this is the end of it. On the way out, I said, look, man, this is for real. He really hired me. 
will you just take me to the hospital where he is? And he did. And I can't tell you the name of it. I don't know where Bobby Kennedy was at a hospital when he, after he'd been shot. But I was there standing outside the emergency room with two or three other people when he died. Or, you know, I don't know exactly when he's pronounced dead. But I was there. And then there was kind of a blur. I got on a plane, got back to Michigan. Here's, here's the final thing. Get this. Remember, I didn't really do anything for Kennedy. You know, I'm not proud of that, but I was, ah, let's just say I was just a kid trying to, you know, whatever. Um, get this. The FBI checked me out later. And then um, about three or four months after that he died and everything, I literally got a picture of Bobby mailed to me by Ethel Kennedy. And it said, get this, dear Jim, thank you for everything. Love Ethel. I was I was flabbergasted. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I, I never met her. The only thing I can guess is that he must have said something to her about me because, and I don't know who else got him. We weren't in touch. I wasn't in touch. With, but I lit and I lost that picture with some old girlfriend somewhere in a trunk. I don't know where it is. But literally, dear Jim, thank you for everything. Love Ethel. A picture of Bobby. And, and she wrote it. It was all in her handwriting. I couldn't believe it. That talk about a class family. I mean, you know, that was how classy they were. And that was just one, one phase. I got a million of them, but man, was, is that a story? That's a good one. Isn't it? That is one of the best stories <laughs> I have ever heard. <laughs> I have sure. so many questions and things I want to spider web off of that. Part two. We'll do a part yeah, two. Yeah. So, so real quick. So basically, so yeah. you were there the night he was shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You I were was there. at a bar called The Cave. Wow. And he, he was shot in the main ballroom of the Ambassador Hotel. In, in, in LA, which I think now has been demolished, but it, that was what it was. It was a famous ambassador. I was in the cave, a bar called The Cave when he was shot. And I have so much to say. Uh, <laughs> I, I thank you for your service, too, of uh, preventing, you know, trying to prevent it, trying to prevent certain sex abuse, skin. sex abuse, uh, which these are going to have to be a lot more. Com wow, it, it's incredible. <laughs> You weren't expecting. I have so many questions for you after this podcast. We have a lot of conversations ahead of us. Yeah, we do, man. Yeah. And, you know, even one, one more thing. I don't know where we are in this, but anyhow, let me just say this, okay? Let me say one other thing. And this is the very, very, very most transcendent, best level of information I want to share. I, you know, and if we stop podcasting in five minutes or three minutes, I want to get this in because I want to build on this. I spent my, my deepest work wasn't in psychology or music or writing or whatever it, from the very beginning, it's been in the spiritual stuff. And when I heard your podcast and that, that, that girl was on there, will you pronounce her name for me? What was Kalila Yasmin. Kalila. And I noticed that you, you'd mentioned something about studying the spiritual stuff and you were, she was sounded pretty good. And, she was insightful about those, that topic. Then you were sharing books and, and experiences. Um, that's, my most, that's my most important work. And I want to talk with you about that um, personally, whatever, because, I mean, I literally spent my life, that's the deeper stuff. And I, I got some stuff to share with you there. I shared a little bit when we talked on the phone, but I've got some other stuff. And... Um, one thing you could do, and this is a plug for it. Um, I don't know if you, have you heard of the Arantia book? 
It's called the Arantia book? Yeah, it's, it's spelled, you might want to jot this down. It's, it's U-R-A-N-T-I-A book, the Arantia book, okay? It is the most profound, and I, I'll, I'll, I, could, I could walk into, I mean, this is how confident I am with this. And I'm not, not it, I can just, I can, I, I could walk into Harvard, Yale, uh, anywhere in the world, any, I don't care who's there or who's coming or who's been there and, and do a dissertation without any preparation on why that book is the most profound uh, collection of writings in, the, in, in any language on this planet right now, period. There's nothing, nothing. And I'm talking about, I mean, I'm talking about Einstein. I'm talking about Goethe. I'm talking about Nietzsche. I'm talking about Lao Tse, Buddha. I'm talking about um, the, the pre-Socratic philosophers, Heraclitus. I don't care who they are. Name anybody in the world, any, any of the most brilliant minds in the world. Nothing touches this, this book and the information in there. Okay. It's, it's spelled U-R-A-N-T-I-A book. It was written in 1935. It was, it was a channeled book, which is very interesting. Okay. But uh, there, it, uh, you can look it up. It's, it's sell, sell, sold worldwide, but it's never been advertised. It's always been word of mouth. Okay. Huh. That's, that's the foundation for my life's work in the spiritual sense. And I want to tell you more about that later, but I want to mention that to you because if you're really interested in, well, let me just say one thing about it. There's a lot more behind this, but I'll say this. The third part of the Arantia book is a channel. I don't like the word channel, but we can't avoid it. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a revelation, a revealed document of Christ's life is the third part of the book. And it is, it is the most profound. I mean, the whole thing is this, this level. Starts with God, ends with Christ, and everybody in between. But that, that third part about Christ's life, I mean, you're talking about um, parts of years of his life that weren't even included in the Bible. They didn't even mention, they didn't even know about it. I mean, this is, it's way beyond the Bible. And I'm not putting the Bible down. It's like, it's just, the Bible is here and the Urantia book is here. It's the most profound writing on a spiritual level in existence. So I just wanted to plug that because you and I personally are going to be revisiting that topic because, man, you deserve the best. And I've spent, to give you a feel for it, it's about the only thing I even read sitting right over there. Um, I got it when I was about... 22 and it was so profound um it was odd how i got it if we got a minute or two i'll tell you and, and we got about five minutes and i'm okay. telling you you just like my whole book session up here that's all spiritual books up there that oh, way God. oh man you, you and are, i have so much to talk about <laughs> like we have. Yeah. well let, let me let me let me tell you, listen even 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 the, the way I got it was mysterious. Get, get this, get this. This is, I'll, I'll do it in under five minutes, but this is how mysterious this is, okay? When I left the monastery, I, I didn't go into the monastery to be a cut up. 
I didn't go there to, to like not do celibacy. I didn't go in there to drink or really like, you know, try to head off the sex abuse scandal. Those were all, or, or record, you know, I recorded Lonely by John Sebastian. And, you know, I, that, those were all side things. I went in there to see if I could serve, you know. I wanted to see if I could become a priest and serve like Father Bill did, work with the poor. And so my, my going in, I didn't know if I could do that. But when I left, I, I, I had a very unquenchable yearning for, uh, I, I knew it was, I knew that they didn't have the answer in terms of Christ. I knew that. I knew Christ was the most profound. I knew that. When I left, I was, I was very, very hardened. But, but I picked up and kept studying on my own the rest of my life. So during the rock phase, between playing Jethro Tull stuff and whatever, my brother, who's very bright guy, ran into a high school friend, and I'll wrap this up quick. Friend, friend said, you know, I, I got this book and I can't comprehend it. It's way beyond me. And my brother Tom said, well, I'll take it. And, he, and he gave, my brother Tom gave him a guitar in exchange for it. John, the guy from the monastery, read it. His dad read it. Tom, I think, read it. And I had been, I had this whole, uh, I would say, metaphysical, mystical experience with God all along. I haven't even gotten into that. But uh, I, it, 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 it spooked me because it was, I, I may have read one or two sentences, I thought, because I could, I, I now know why, but I, I ran from the book for probably five or 10 years. And it keep coming back, and and when I got when I, when my daughter uh, when when um, uh, my daughter's mom was pregnant with her, I got I got time to read it, and I, I finished in tears. I, I was sobbing when I read it. Um, the crucifixion is included, just to give you a little. That was that one. Uh, I, I, you won't you won't believe this thing. I mean, you will believe it, but it's the most anyway. It's as profound as I said. But anyway, and then get, get this. So I read the book and we leave, we're living in Michigan and we leave, we're broke, whatever. And, and she said to me, uh, my daughter's mom, you know, any, I, I said, you know, anywhere warm, I'm working construction, I'm writing and I'm working, you know, I'm doing all kinds of stuff. But now I got a kid. She said, well, I have an old boyfriend in Santa Cruz. We can stay with him. I said, okay, let's go there. So we drive there. We're, they build a loft for us. These are these great big hunking guys. That One was her ex-boyfriend. Uh, um, and we're living there. They build a loft for us. It was great. So we got this little baby. We're living in the loft. And, 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 and I finished the book in tears. I thought my whole life is going ch to change my life completely. This is and I, but I'm, I'm, you know, I don't know exactly what to do with it. And she gets me a Valentine's Day gift where she buys me a massage in Santa Cruz, way out in the middle of the woods. Get this, at a monastery, an old uh, converted monastery in the woods in, in, in Santa Cruz. And I'm on the table getting a massage from this girl named Christy, which was cool. It was a, my, my um, you know, um, Candace had got me this. And and I said, well, what do you do? This is an old monastery? Yeah, yeah. I said, what do you do besides do massages? She said, well, we have a ranch a study book, a study group. And so that, all I'm saying is, man, to be continued, but I'm going to tell you right now, um, you won't believe where, where this is headed with, not only with you and me, but um, I've spent, you know, I don't know, 
decades with this. I can't read, nothing else touches. I don't read anything else. I mean, I don't care what it is, you know, it doesn't matter. It's boring compared to this. This is beyond. So to be continued, I, I don't want to get into much more of it if we do another whatever, but you are in for a treat. If I have to buy it for you, I, whatever, doesn't matter. You got to get the book. You know? I'm ordering it tonight. <laughs> After oh, I've already pulled oh, it up on my Amazon. Oh, man. I mean, it is way beyond anything. And it's a catalyst for what I'm really about later. Okay, which before I came into this podcast with you, I didn't know how much of if any of that I would touch. But my real goal, I, I do kind of have a mission now. And it has nothing to do with the current business. You know, we didn't even touch that we, or any of that. But but we'll, to be continued, man. To be, con Jim, yeah, I don't want us to lose this because we're running out of time. But this, you're, you're coming on again soon. We're doing this again okay, soon. Man. There's so much we didn't cover. <laughs> Quick shout out where people can find you. Oh, uh, nosliphairties.com. And on LinkedIn, LinkedIn, you know, um, um, that's, let me just tell Jane what's going on. Oh, so, you know, yeah, LinkedIn, um, nosliphairties.com. Um, they can email me at info at no slip hair ties. I mean, that's just a product we've got for sale. And we can talk about that sometime if you want or not. But Yeah, no, definitely. I wanted to get into that deeply. But uh, I think I think we've got a nice start here. And we've got a nice start. <laughs> well, Jim, it's a pleasure. Again, very grateful for you. This this is actually just mind blowing. <laughs> the fact the fact that you just told me about this book on this podcast where I do a book of the episode, I read tons of books, I'm deep into spirituality, which I need to tell you about my own journey. And the fact that you just told me about this, everything happened. I, I just confident this is all divine intervention. That I think so. I, I think I, so. Listen, listen, man, truer words have not been at this level. Trust me, you you are in for the, the treat of your life, man. I mean, I, I, I stand by that. Um, um, yeah, so we'll continue personally whatever you want to do man let's just continue yeah all right jim well thank you so much thank you so much for everything and we're going to talk again soon okay man thank you all right take care bye bye